when I decided to drop out of college, I'll never forget, I kept saying, I don't want to sit in class and go, what if? Just like, I don't want to lay in bed and go, what if? And I think that comes back full circle on a lot of this. And that is, dude, not everything that I've launched has been a success. In fact, there's been a lot of failures. I don't regret a single one of them. And that is because I've learned from them all. Just like I've learned from the races I've lost and I've learned from the races I've won. Hey, everybody. This is Driven By with Sam Coates. On this podcast, you're going to hear people that see a need and they do something about it. You're going to hear what drives them, lessons learned along the way, how they built it, and how things are evolving yet still today. It is great to have you on the show. For more information, go to podcast.sampcoats.com. That's podcast.sampcoats.com and subscribe to our weekly email list and check out my show on Twitter, Instagram, at Sam P. Coates. This show can be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts at Driven By with Sam Coates. If you like the show, please spread the word, tell a friend, and leave a review and check out previously recorded episodes. I hope you have a great day. My guest this week is Clark Butcher. Clark is back on for a second episode. Last week, we left off at what happens when you go all in on your business and it burns down one month in. This week, we're going to take a deep dive on what it's like building a high-touch retail store. This is an in-depth conversation on what it looks like to build a brand and a successful small business that reaches far more than just a local market. Additionally, it's fascinating to hear how COVID-19 has affected the cycling industry. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hey, everybody. I'll just make this easy. Do you need insurance? Do you want another opinion about your insurance? Just go ahead and call Matt Haga with State Farm. It'll be easy. If you're thinking about it, just do it. We do have listeners to this show from all over the world. So this offers only for listeners in the state of Tennessee and Mississippi in the United States. Matt Haga State Farm offers auto, home, renters, business, and life insurance. Go to madhaga.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-A-A-G-A dot com and contact them. When you contact Matt, tell him I sent you. Now more than ever, it is harder to fly. That's why you need to know of AB Jets. If you want to be efficient with your time and fly with one of the safest private air companies in the world, then you need to use AB Jets. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. AB Jets is one of the largest Lear 60 jet companies in the United States with nonstop access to most destinations around the U.S. Efficient, clean, and easy to work with, AB Jets is an experience that gets you where you need to go on time and with no hassle. Go to abjets.com for more information and book your trip today or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S. Now we're going to get back to the show. I think I heard you say after 30 days, y'all's store burned down. Yeah, 28 days in, store burns down. Yeah, so we were in a, in a bay uh, in a little strip center on Young Avenue, and the bay next door was vacant, and the landlord was getting it ready for a new tenant and had hired a plumber to be in there and 
they were I don't know, doing something, getting it ready for the next tenant. And the plumber was welding something in the common walls, something ignites, whatever. A couple quick fortunate notes. Number one, fortunately, nobody was there. Monday's the one day we've been closed ever since I opened the doors in 2010. Monday. We, we don't work Mondays. What are y'all, Tuesday through Sunday? Tuesday through Sunday. Right. And uh, so no one was there. And then secondly, no one was hurt, right? Like, like guy got out, I guess if we... Ready, here comes the business side. Thirdly, we were all insured. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so 28 days in, we get a call, and I'll never forget, Robert calls me, and he and I were always around Midtown. If he was doing real estate or if I was coaching or riding my bike or hanging out, whatever, I was. we were always around Midtown. He calls me, he goes, and it's panic. He goes, Clark, get to the store. Someone just called. It's on fire. And I said, what? Terrible, like terrible joke, man. He's like, no, I'm serious. I don't know how they know, but get to the shop. So, of course, race over there. I'm, I'm literally blocks away. And get over there and fire trucks everywhere. And they are, dude, ain't no need to go open up the doors for these dudes. I mean, they are wailing inventory, wailing into the walls. Mind you, like, it was so intense to pull up and see that happen. And while, yes, that was only my business for 28 days operating, for the last 60 days of my life, I had moved gravel, I had cleaned, I had helped lay floors, I had painted, I had stressed on getting vendors in. Like, dude, there was so many things, right? That's launch day. Yeah. And and to see that all literally getting hosed down, wailed on, smoke billowing out, like, man, ain't no need to run in and grab anything. It's 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 gone. And it was awful. That, that was awful. You know, 28 days in, the business is wildly successful. The business was profitable in the first two weeks, by the way. Heads up. But but before I go and just boast that, I want to remind everyone, we opened with $15,000. Like, I think we had like close to 4500 maybe 5500 bucks in inventory when we opened the doors. Now, look, 28 days in, we had already hit multiples on all this stuff because we just kept putting every bit of cash right back in right back in. So by the time it burned down, we had almost $60,000 in inventory in that store, literally by just compounding everything. Yeah. You bought a pair of socks, I bought two. You bought two, I bought four. Same thing with bikes, same thing with wheels, same thing with tires, same thing with lights, right? Like that's just how I kept rolling it in. So my inventory was always paid for and I wasn't planning on an income anytime soon. And, and business burns down. And so a couple of things here. Number one, there's going to be a lot of lessons I'm going to hopefully teach people throughout this that you do not learn in business school. Number one, nobody writes a book or teaches a class on how to relaunch a business 28 days after it catastrophically comes to the ground. So how do you relaunch that? How do you maintain that? You had just built this launch. You had planned this launch. You had connected with all these people, like the, like everything about it, the persona, like social media, like everything. Like, man, you had people following you, and now all of a sudden stops. So do you maintain it? Do you try and do it from an outside? Do you shift to another location quick? Like, what, what do you do? And no one writes a book on how to do that. You got to figure that out. And what uh, did y'all do? So... It took four months for the insurance company to rebuild. So y'all were done for four months. Down for four months with no brick and mortar. Now, all of our vendors stood by us. Now, mind you, our, our working relationship was only 28 days at that point. We had been talking for months. Yeah. But for in 28 days, they had seen the level of success and how fast it went. So, dude, 
When I tell you a week later, we had my, both Robert and myself had new bikes sent to us just to ride, just to keep in the meantime so we could free our mind because our bikes were in there. Like classy moves, man. We had companies that were sending us like, hey, here's some jerseys in case y'all lost anything, like just to keep you guys going. We hope, you know, we hope to have you back soon. And so a couple of things. One, uh, insurance, right? Here's the, one of the big lessons. They don't teach you this in business school, or maybe they teach you how important it is, but they don't teach you like this. Because heads up, when you when you sit down with any insurance broker for anything brick and mortar, they get to the fire clause and they typically breeze through it. Uh, and by the way, this is no jam on insurance. This is, this, look, it's the same thing in real estate. There's a fire clause. What if while you have it under contract and I have your earnest money, it burns down? Do you still have to close? Yeah. Right? There's a clause. We typically breeze through this clause. Same thing in insurance. And so in insurance, they have this clause. That if, it, if, if it burns down or you're under, there is both a, a loss of business coverage and there's such thing as a loss of income coverage. Fortunately, we had an awesome insurance broker who is my uncle, rest in peace, uh, dist- distant uncle, by the way, but, but, but re- may rest in peace. And this guy was animated and funny, and I'll never forget when I'd sit down in his office, he'd tell us these stories. He'd be like, no, and he could analyze a business faster than anyone. He was the best salesman. I mean, God, I love a salesman, by the way. <laughs> and, and, and I'll never forget when he says, and you know, thinking back on it, he goes, now, you're going to have this place and you're going to do repairs. I said, yes, sir. I said, now, so you're going to have the customer's bicycles in your place while you're doing these repairs and they may be there for a day or two. Yes. He goes, well, we need to insure that in case the place ever burns down. And I'm like, I mean, I guess if you say so, like, God, this is going to get expensive, right? He's just selling me. No, wasn't selling me. These were all scenarios that all worked out. And for, yes, there were customers' bikes that were in the store that got destroyed. And yes, we were 100% insured to cover those. And so a lot of these things, they don't teach you, right? And a lot of businesses open up without really exploring insurance and the way it's covered. And when you have other people's goods in there. And so we have that. But then there's also this other clause that's loss of, uh, loss of income. And we had loss of income insurance as well. And that's something that if you're a small business owner right now and you're hearing this, you need to go look into this now. And that basically meant was uh, we would get paid essentially like a per diem uh, as well as any employees would get paid a per diem based on previous projections or 28 days in, there's not a lot of projections. Most companies, like if a business burns down five years in, the metrics come out pretty quick. Like, hey, dude, this is what you've been making for the last four years. This is what you're going to be paid for the four months you're out. Like, like right. things are very, very crystal clear. For 28 days, it's very, very, very difficult because it was it was crazy. And so one thing is they came right out with, looked at, I mean, very, I mean, it was very easy to, to show what, what kind of success we had had. So they compensated us for that over those next four months. And they also made it clear that you could also, you could continue working during this time. And man, I couldn't stop the launch. I was the marketing guy, by the way. I was the front of the house. Robert was the back of the house, we'd call it. So Robert was the maintenance guy. He looked at the numbers, studied the numbers. I was the front of house guy. And I couldn't shut it off. Dude, I was victory by then. I was, I was like, that was me. And so I couldn't shut it off. So we were selling. We were selling out of the house. We were special ordering. Uh, obviously, we didn't have any branded merchandise, but we're like, if you wanted a bike, We'd still use a nearby gym in Midtown. 
that would let us still use their space. And we, Robert would fit them. We'd fit them for a new bike. We'd order it in. So we're talking like, you know, not a lot of business, but we were still able to continue and show that we were working and doing something. And again, that's the type of stuff they don't teach, man. And they don't teach like how to come out from it. And yeah, when we came back, we came out strong, right? Because we had 28 days to learn a ton. And now we had a blank slate again. Heads up, I'm not painting a damn wall again, right? Like <laughs> insurance is going to take care of that. So yeah, focused 100% on that. And with the big insurance check we got back, dude, we reopened and we went ham. I mean, just, just, just all out. Yeah. And, and yeah, reopened with more bikes, more products, more ideas. And we knew then that, hey, our 9010 had flipped. What was the need that y'all were offering, providing early on that caused the business to have more revenue and sales than what you were expecting going in? Service. Man, I'm glad you asked that. That's the one thing we did. So look, we opened Victory because, so the folks that were coming to us to buy bikes, that's how it all started. They'd go to Robert for a fitting before I'd work with them. And then we'd have relationship, we'd both have relationships with the client and they'd be hitting us up to buy bikes. Well, man, you know why they were hitting us up is because the local bike shops weren't doing their job. And we recognized that fast. And Robert had multiple times been hired by these guys to go in with them to a bike shop to help them select a new bike. And Robert would just wave at the person working there and just do, let me do my job and I'm going to deliver you a sale. And, and yeah, it was, it was a no brainer. So it was one, like, that's how we started this whole thing was with that mindset is we're doing this because the current are not doing their job. And the green light had just opened and a lot of people shifted their market immediately to that entry level consumer, this, this new wave, right? It was, it was essentially not quite pandemic level bike sales, but but fast bike sales etch you hard, right? So working with a strong type A personality for two weeks straight before closing the deal on a $10,000 bike didn't make sense when they could move 20 of these $400 things a day. So everyone shifted that direction and that's why they were coming to us. And so we quickly launched this man, we don't need a lot of square footage to launch high end. Like, like you, you don't need stack to the ceiling $10,000 bikes. That would never work. That doesn't make sense. And it cheapens it too. So, you know, we launched this to go after that service experience. At 550 square feet, you can't go browse. Dude, you're not in here looking. Like, look, that's it. Like the store's tiny. So we got to build a rapport with you and build a relationship with you. And you did not get that anywhere else. And, and that's why it grew and that grew because they would, the, you know, Sam would leave and tell his coworkers about this awesome bike shop in Cooper Young he just went to and how, man, these guys were so nice. And I, I guarantee they'll remember my name if I go back. They offered me a beer. I was in there for five minutes, like little things like that. And, and, and dude, you were our marketing, right? Like customers were our marketing and that's what we had. And that's why we grew so fast is we simply provided an experience they didn't get anywhere else. This may sound like a weird question, but I think it'll resonate with somebody. In the morning, when you're going in to your studio, how do you think about how you're going to manage your time that day and what you're going to get done? And also too, earlier on, you know, when you didn't have 10 years under your belt, how did you think about what you were doing that day or that week and how you're going to be reactive to the client or to the customer, but then also try to build things out strategically in the way that you were kind of planning it in your mind? Yeah, not, no, not a weird question. It's tough to answer because things have changed, right? And, and 
all along, I quickly recognized that the most important person in the room is the person that's walking in your door, right? Like, like, dude, we're on Broad Avenue. We're not on a main thoroughfare. We're not on Union. You didn't just swing by. Like, you made it a point to come to us, and which means that the second you enter that door, you're the most important person in the room. It doesn't matter who I'm email replying to, who I'm on the phone with. doesn't matter. That person came to this place that you created with this goal in mind that people would come. So I very early on realized that you can't do work while at work. Not well. One of the two is not going to go well if you try. So a lot of that gets done before hours. So any sort of marketing, any sort of creative thinking, anything like that is going to happen before, rarely after hours. After hours, man, I'm, I'm typically ready to shut down, try and think about something else. Um, but it's one that I, I wake up fired up and I wake up typically most creative. And so before I go in is when I come up with any sort of marketing plans. That's when I'm looking at any new brands that may be coming out or any sort of trends happening right now in the industry or any companies that are growing real fast that I need to look at their product or anything like that. Any sort of research, I do that all before hours, any sort of marketing before hours and and 99% of admin happens before or after hours, meaning, you know, do I handle obviously payroll, healthcare, we have a 401k, obviously utilities. I mean, you know the deal, you've been in business. So like there, there's all sorts of admin that takes place. Things we're in a hundred something year old building, man. Like things are always happening. Yeah. So anyway, so, so that all happens before hours at the shop, man, that is where I'm a hundred percent with the customers. And right now it's different, right? I said this, so I don't answer that question a little differently. Right now we are encouraging appointments and God, like it's been my dream. Like how cool would it be to have a concierge style bike shop where your appointment was booked on the front end? You can't do that early on. There's no way it would have ever grown. But God, right now, like it's a dream. Like when I get in and I can see how much of the day is already planned. So we can get ahead. We already have an idea of what they're looking for. We, If we don't know their name, we already know who referred them based on the notes we've got in place. Like we've already got that on the book. So right now is a little different. Before, you know, typically a lot of it was for me was online and email. And that is my clientele. Again, we go back to these same folks I was selling homes to, these same folks I'm riding with. Not, I don't want to use the word affluent, but a, a different caliber uh, of customer base. And, and man, a lot of them do their personal emails in the morning or in the evening. And if it comes in the evening, I'm answering it back in the morning. Well, if I waited till my store opened at 11 to reply to emails, number one, it wouldn't happen because I'm helping customers in the store. Number two, dude, that's late. If you emailed me at eight last night, I'm answering you back at 11. You're going to, by the way, you guys are quickly picking up on like, dude, I answer every email. Like that's too late. And, and, and again, and go back to the only thing I have that the internet doesn't have is service. Here you get the service, you get the why, and not to mention like, man, when you purchase from me, that's what's taking care of the dude that took you on a bike ride the other day, the dude that's fixing your flat on the side of the road, the guy that you want to hit up for advice. Like, man, like my, you know, like that's how I sell the whole local thing, obviously, right? Is all of my employees are your neighbors. Most of them live nearby. We dine in the same places. So that's why you need to buy stuff from me. Fact, the economy will suffer if you don't support a small business. Those are your neighbors. And our biggest competitors online. So the only thing we have that online doesn't is service. And, and that's why we grew and that's what we've always stuck to. And that's what I've always leveraged. And that's why I don't do anything strategic during the day at work other than take notes and listen. If 
five people come in a row and ask for knee warmers because their morning ride was pretty chilly. Better believe those knee warmers are going to be out there tomorrow, <laughs> right? Like, so other than basic strategy like that and listening, like, uh, no, all that happens before the time I go in. And, you know, right now with inventory shortages across every industry, uh, especially things that are being imported, like, man, I, I am spending way, way more amounts of time early in the morning before going in just buying. And that's just trying to get ahead. Yeah. Has it ever crossed your mind just feeling like you had enough within the last 10 years and wanting to move on to something else? I've thought about it for sure. Obviously, like I've got long-term goals and what it's going to take to get there. And I guess, uh, was it three, four, three or four years ago, I got an offer to buy the company. And it was loosely put, the numbers made plenty of sense to go the next step and sit down and talk to them. But very quickly, like it became one that, and this is what I love. This is what I love. And that number did not make sense. The more and more I dove into it and, and, and yeah, I would be absolutely lying to you if I didn't say I had a number in mind right now, like what's it going to take for me to walk? And it's, man, I love what I do. I mean, I, it's the same thing when I hire staff and I make it real clear to them, like you can't rock the boat. And, and, and I use that term in a lot of ways, why you can't rock the boat. You know, we've got seven full-time guys now uh, and girls, depending on when this comes out, we get, <laughs> we'll get to announce we have a female joining us. Nice. Um, man, it, it's, it's the same thing I tell them all. You can't rock the boat. My life I consider very easy at the shop. And that is uh, so much is controlled and so much I've got in tune and so much I'm, I'm so confident in the way things are right now. We can reply and respond to everybody that comes in that door and give them an amazing experience. <laughs> at home, it's different, man. Like while I don't have kids, if it's just my wife and I and a crazy <laughs> rescue dog, it's one that like, no, it just, things are just totally different, right? Like, like I, she's been, you know, working at this branding firm all day and I've been in retail talking to tons of people all day. So I typically have to come home and wind it down a good bit. <laughs> So yeah, I say that in like, you can't rock the boat. And I say you can't rock the boat because it's my boat, man. And it's where I think creatively and it's where my best ideas come. And it's what I love. You know, I don't know what I'd do if, if I didn't have the shop. And, you know, like you and I spoke, you know, over the last couple of weeks as we were getting all this scheduled and the whole time I was out West, man, I sold many of bikes. I don't use away messages. I don't. I've tried that. It doesn't work, man, because my mind is still going and I want to help and Dude, you went out of your way to email me direct when you could have found the answer online. You could have bought it without even asking me. Like, that's the biggest compliment I can receive is it doesn't mean you're a customer, right? There's there's a good uh, – Simon Sonic had a good quote on the difference between a client and a customer. And I forget how it went, but it went something like this. Like, a customer is someone that wouldn't go anywhere else on the subject matter that you're best in without asking your opinion first. And I look at that, man, and and – Fortunately, after this many years in business, uh, I'm not answering those, you know, those emails from the folks that are going to take and utilize all my, you know, leverage all the advice I just gave them and purchase somewhere else. Yeah. So I can dive in deeper because when they write me, they mean it. And they, you know, so many of my customers, I'm very transparent on social media where I'm at, what I'm doing. And, and so many a times they'll reply back with, dude, you're on vacation. Wasn't <laughs> expecting you to reply. And it's it, few times that happens, not not all the time, but I don't need a pat on the back, dude. I, like, this is what I love. And so to answer your question, like, no, I mean, it's come into play once and obviously it comes into mind on what it would take. But 
look, I love what I do. I love the store. I love the city. I love Broad Avenue. I love right where I'm at in Binghampton. I, I love where the city's at right now. I mean, dude, what else am I going to do? It's because it's going to be in Memphis and this is my space and this is the product I know. And, it, you know, it took a lot of years of heavy lifting to get to have this much fun. You know, I sit here and I'm not stressed on the way things are going to end up. Like I'm not. And I'm very, very confident the way things are going and the way it's built. Five years ago, it would have been different. I'd have been sitting here with a little bit, little more hair than I have now. Not much, but a little more hair. And I would still have this nervousness. And and uh, look, man, a lot of, there's a lot of competitors out there, right? There's a lot of people that don't want you to do well. And there's a lot of people that are jealous of your success. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not a big dude and I'm kind of, you know, I, I'm kind of out there. And, and a lot of people look at that and go like, he's lucky or anyone can do it or whatever it is. And that's why I'm, I'm not going to go anywhere. It's, dude, I am a competitor. You know, I, I start that with as much as I love it, like as much as I want to change people's lives. And that's become my big goal over the last several years. Like I also want to go ha ha at a lot of people, right? Like, and I think any entrepreneur is fooling you if they don't say that. Having a partner prior, would you have a partner again in a new business or a different business? Yes. What are the things that you've learned by going through it once that you feel like you would filter your thinking through about understanding if it if it's a go or a no-go? And, you know, obviously clearly defined expectations would be the first. And again, it's it's tough because right now my, my answer is going to be very different than it was five years ago, you know, five years into this business. And uh, so so one is... Obviously, the only way a partnership or a team works is somebody else has a strength where you're weak or somebody else has a strength that complements your strength, right? Like, like that's the only, that's really the only way to look at, at, at really building a, a, a team is they've got to fill one of, fill one of those two metrics and one of those two boxes. How do you replicate yourself with your clients? And I'm curious if it's hard with what you do, if, if there's a fair amount of turnover because just the way that you've talked, hearing about your understanding, your just you being an athlete yourself, and then your passion and interest for the customer, for the client, for them to have the best that they can have with, with their bike and their gear, et cetera, and getting fitted perfectly, all those things. How have you tried to figure out how to replicate yourself to your staff? And is that difficult? And what's that like? <laughs> very, very. And it's one, it's... Up until really this past year, I've said it all the time. Like if you if you're coming in to spend big money on a bike, you you want to talk to me. And 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 that's not again, that's not that's not me saying you want to talk to me. That's that's me saying you are coming in and you are wanting to talk to me. You came with the mindset you're gonna see me, you're gonna look at me, we're gonna work this this uh this purchase. Um this year, my staff, you know, a lot of it's just it's building their confidence and uh, and just teaching them to rip what I say. And that's a hard thing to say to a new employee out the gate, but it's something that I learned, you know, when I first started real estate. And when I first started, you know, my, I had a really great mentor early on that was a financial guy. And he used to say, like, talk how I talk, like, like follow what I say. And because it works. And that is, I want you to watch my mannerisms. I want you to watch how I guide them through the sale. I'm not selling them on something. I'm guiding their expectations, but I want you to see how I filter that down, right? Like, oh, you, oh, uh, hey, what can I help you find today? I'm looking for a bike. Awesome. What kind of riding do you want to do? I didn't say what kind of bike do you want. 
So what kind of riding do you want to do? Like, again, these are little nuances and that's, that's very, very at the elementary level of what I'm speaking to. And I say, rip what I say. And I, the more times that they're around me, the more they rip what I say. And the greatest compliment I can ever have is when I answer the telephone, Victory Bicycle Studios, Clark, and you go, yeah, is Sean there? <laughs> Let me get him. Man, I can't wait. That is the best compliment I could ever have is when I answer the phone and you're calling for one of my staff. Like, that's awesome, right? And that means I did the job or, 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 or maybe not mission accomplished, but but a major checkbox, right? But yeah, I think a lot of it's really like, how do you replicate that? It's hard. And, and that's the quick thing that I've always come to when people are like, well, why don't you open a victory in Asheville? Or why don't you open one in Nashville? Or why don't you open Little Rock? And, and I've looked at all this and I've spent a lot of time looking at multiple locations and that is, guess what? What do I do when I'm managing the store in Little Rock and turns out Sam came by the shop to look at a bike today? Where was I? Yeah. Right? Like totally, like that's where it came to. You can't be two places at once. Is You know, that's a quote I'm going to break down on an elementary level, but it, I mean that. Like you can't be two places at once and I love it here and I'm not done here. Memphis is far from saturated. There are a lot more bikes that need to be sold in this city, and there's a lot of people that need to be upgraded in this city. And we're so far from saturation point, so why would I focus on the next? Why would I double my overhead for uh, a minor amount of more income and a lot less pleasure and happiness, right? Like, I'm happy with life, man. Like, Or when people fly in on their private jets yeah. to your city. And, I mean, you've talked about this. They'll fly in to a regional airport close to your office, come in look at the bike, get fitted for the bike, and then they fly out and you can ship it to them. We've loaded bikes on planes at DeWitt Spain Airport. I mean, it's you know, awesome. Like, man, it's awesome. Like, while it doesn't make me any more money than the individual that comes in the shop, it sure feels cool as shit to like, dude, I will pick you up on the landing pad or jet pad, whatever you call it. Like, like there's something really cool and that motivates me. And again, like, Dude, you could have bought this somewhere else. You could have bought it geographically more convenient to you, but it's that's why we're there, man. We're 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 so far from saturating this thing. We can ship anything. Yeah. You know, at this day and age, we can ship anything. And being in Memphis is obviously a luxury for shipping, but it's one that no, it's pretty awesome when folks want to come in for the full experience. And that's what I prefer, right? That's when I know I can make you a customer, not a sale. Uh when I ship it to you, I I I don't know. I'll make this brief on my end, but there's several things that you're saying that, you know, I just believe 100% wholehearted uh, through my own experience. But you talked about it a little bit earlier, but, you know, I started a landscape company uh, when I was at Memphis and it grew a lot and it grew very quickly. And for those first five, six, seven years, eh, maybe four or five, didn't matter what time, it didn't matter what morning, it didn't matter if rain was coming in at like 10 o'clock on a Friday night, I was there. And I mean, we had some really unbelievable foremen, project managers, et cetera. And I had a lot of really high-end clients too. And it was back in 2016, 2015, when I was kind of just doing wrestling with some like really humbling, uncomfortable questions about what, what did I want to be doing? Not just what I want to be doing, but what kind of work am I led to or am I drawn to or what's just kind of wrestling with some of the stuff. And one of the things that I've learned through that experience that I hope just to always continue to take this with you, when you have a lot of very high-end wealthy clients and they come to you for the reasons that you've talked about because you care more than anybody else and you're going to answer those messages and you're going to understand what their needs are and you're going to give them 100%, 
and you back off from that, they get pissed <laughs> and they leave. And I was trying to do it in a way where I was trying to like bring on some specific people to funnel some things just to create a little bit more margin. And it wasn't completely terrible, but there are definitely some things in my head right now that I'm thinking about that if you, where it, when I go through that again, or if I go through that again, depending on the type of business that you build, I think that's something that you really got to be honest about early on and, and just own it. Like, you know, people say there's, 10% of your clients, your customers, like they're just going to want to talk to you. And if they're paying, you know, they know they're paying a premium and they want to talk to you. So I, I think it's very interesting though, as somebody that's anybody that's listening to this podcast where you're 10, 15 years in, but you're still kind of bringing that intensity day in, day out and kind of setting the pace, setting the tone, which obviously it's getting taken care of. And that expertise is there and that kind of obsession with, you know, that creative approach to it. But it's hard to replicate that kind of care and that kind of drive and to think in a way creatively, but try to understand what that person wants. And when you don't think about that on the front end, it creates some friction, some tension, and it also affects some things from a revenue and PL perspective too. Sure. The person that's going to spend four grand on a bike is not going to talk to the stoner from high school wearing <laughs> a flat bill hat and a hoodie. <laughs> Ain't going to do it, dude. It'll never, and not in Memphis, Tennessee, where we're predominantly a bit more conservative. Maybe you get away in some parts of that in, in, in the Western states, but even there, like, look, man, I, you know, I've got a lot of industry friends that own shops all over the country. And, you know, a good buddy of mine, he's at a shop in Steamboat Springs now for, he was there for 10, 12 years before he bought it. And he's had it for 15 something years now. And uh, while talking to him is very different, you're going to get a very Steamboat Springs, Colorado vibe. The second he opens his mouth, it's as polished as it comes, and he knows everything he's talking about. And that's something that's very difficult to replicate. And it's the ability to do it, and then it's and it's the give a shit, right, which is what you're speaking of. And that is like, dude, I love it. And you hear that like, who cares what people think? Dude, I 100% care what people think, right? If you own a business, you 100% care what people think. Reviews matter. <laughs> And it's one of those, man, yeah, I'm going to reply to every single thing. And if it's these individuals that have been taking care of me and that refer to me and take care of myself and the seven families that rely on the income of victory, dude, I'm going to reply to your email when I'm on vacation. Absolutely would never have thought twice about it. And you can't get that everywhere. And you definitely don't get that in the bicycle industry. You know, there's a lot of Billy's Bicycle Barns out there with the guy with the handlebar mustache and walking around in a shop apron on the floor and bikes stacked to the ceiling. Like that model's going away because those buyers are going away. There's changes. Like you, you, you've got folks in the industry now that we're, we're elevating it. We're, we're, we're show, we're upgrading it. We're showing you the way that bicycle retail should be done, you know, and every single thing I do, I rip from outside of this industry. And I say to everyone, if you ever look at the bicycle business for inspiration, you've screwed up already. Bike shop owners all like, how'd you come up with that? I've never even heard that done. No, I know you haven't, dude, because it's not in this space. Like when it comes to retail and caretaking, like I look at the way hospitality businesses do it. I try to think about my favorite restaurants or, or the most high end of restaurants and what that experience is like from the second you enter. What's the lighting like? What's the tone like? What's the temperature? What's the music? Do they pull the chair out? Do they hold the door for you? Like every little thing. Think about that. Like we were nerding out earlier on the on the bathroom configuration in the building yeah. here. I look at every single one of those things. Yeah. A, I think it's neat how 
we're talking today through our conversation, like that drive is still there with you. And then B, I think for some reason, if whoever you are, whatever it looks like, whatever you do, if you are going to step back or if you are going to look like maybe I do want to actually sell my company or if it's best to spend some time in some in another company or in some different things, it's just to at least know what it is on the front end and to kind of plan accordingly around it. Cause like you can just kind of get in the moment and you're trying to make the decisions with the best you have, but it, it really does matter. Or then too, if you're to tell those clients to some degree, it's almost better on their interest. Hey, if you're not going to get kind of that white glove, extremely high end service, you might not be happy. And there's a sense of trust there and it's nobody ever gets it exactly right but that's what they want. And if they don't get that, you know, they're gone. And uh, I just think it's really neat because what made me want to like even reach out to you and call you to do an episode is because I saw that write up about you when COVID happened and, and you're just quoted saying, you know, we're not worried about COVID. I mean, we're worried about it from a health standpoint, from a societal standpoint and country standpoint, world, et cetera. But we're going to continue to take care of our clients, our customers and we're going to continue to focus on our game. So I just thought it was even from the start, just kind of like ignoring the noise, continue to stay after it and read the playbook. I was like, man, that would be, that'd be a great conversation to flesh that out. So I think it's cool. Even, you know, how everything we're talking about right now f- falls in line with that. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's one, you know, when COVID hit and I love telling that story when COVID hit, man, I panicked like every other small business owner. Like everyone did. I 100% panicked, right? Like you're hearing about, uh, I think it was New York, like probably one of the first, like shutting down. Wait a second, I reach out to a buddy that has a bike shop in New York. He's like, yeah, they shut us down. I'm like, what? Right? Like that's why I worked for myself so I could control everything. Like yeah. you can't shut me down, dude. If I paid my bills, like you can't shut me down. All of a sudden it's hitting, right? Like what What do I do? You know, and and – uh, okay, one thing they teach you in business school, and not to keep going back and jamming on the college yeah. thing, but it is fun. They're not listening um, anymore. Yeah, <laughs> but it is it is fun. Like, like you need to have three months operating income in the bank the day you open the doors. And anytime I hire on a new staff member, like like we're about to announce an, another full-timer coming on board soon, and it's not just the want, it's the I've got to make sure that financially the business is doing well enough to supply that salary, those, those, those benefits and all that for three months before I make them that offer. That's where I'm conservative. A lot of business guys leverage. Things are going hot, hip and hopping. Man, COVID bike sales are up. I'm going to hire up everybody. I don't. Dude, I'm, I'm in the long-term play. I'm the endurance guy. And so I immediately sat down because I know that if I'm stressed, I know that my guys are stressing, right? Like working at Victory Bicycle Studio, not knowing what's going to happen. They're feeling the stresses at home with their spouses too. And they're seeing the news like everyone else's. And this was what, like March when things really amplified. Yeah. Late Feb, it was getting more and more talked about. March, it really amplified. And so I held a mandatory meeting. We have a meeting, by the way, mandatory. Every single day, Victory is open 30 minutes before we open. We have a mandatory sit-down meeting. That's where everyone brings their notepads. That's where we delegate tasks for the day. That's where we go over who's coming in and what's going on. You do that every day? Every single since, day. Since y'all open? Uh, since the day I bought out Robert. So okay. that was the first thing I changed was implemented this kind of team process. Can like, I ask a question? Will yeah. you forget your train of thought? No, no, no. How many days off do you take a year? Not uh, off, not a lot. I mean, you know, on paper, I, I'm not in the store Mondays and Tuesdays. 
but Tuesday's the days I run. I still have a coaching company and still have my hands in that, a handful of other ventures, So, as well as nonprofit work and such. So I definitely take a solid day a week off, I feel, although I'm here on a Monday, but this isn't work. I'm drinking beer and yeah. enjoying the company. So Heck it's yeah. one like... 52? Quick math? I do take vacation. Like this last vacation was a little bit of work, a little vacation. No, but I mean, so we are closed Christmas Day until the 2nd. That's a, that's a, a policy I implemented early. So a week? Yeah. So that week I'm totally off. I'd say if I probably added it up and really looked at it between Monday off every week, I'd probably take a solid week and a half to two weeks of vacation a year. So you were talking about uh, covid you oh, knew yes. if you were stressed, your people were stressed. So I sit down with everyone and I come right out with it, right? Like, hey, guys, I don't know any more than you do. And you don't know any more than anyone else does. All of us know the same thing about what's going on right now, speaking of COVID and what's going to happen and what, you know, everyone's got opinions and things are flying every which way. Man, we all know the same thing. Like at the end of the day, like yeah. we only know so much and it's March. And I look at him, I go, guys, so here's the deal. I'm going to make you all a guarantee right now. I guarantee you that no matter what happens, your pay will remain unchanged for the next 90 days. Three months, if we're completely shut down, you are not going to stress and you are going to make the same that you're making right now. I guarantee you that. You stand by me and I'm going to stand by you and we are all going to have that trust. I said, but with that... Our customers are riding more than ever. I've never seen this many people on this bike lane out front. I believe we're about to crush it. So guys, here's the deal. Until we get shut down, you're going to make more money than you ever have in your lives. But I want everyone hands on deck. There's no more days off. There's no more time off. So y'all went back seven days a week? We went to seven days a week. The Monday everyone was off, they still had obligations. And if that was obligations on follow-up or ordering or customer engagement or riding or whatever it was. So store was open six days a week. Everyone works six days a week in the store. And it went nuts. You know, it, it, it went absolutely nuts. We immediately went to, uh, you know, a line at the door. And I think we had four people in the store at a time. And then as mask mandates and all that stuff started to come. We went to two in the store at a time. Then now we're at one in the store at a time. And that's, that's a whole nother psychology talk in a second while we, while we amended to one, because by the way, one doesn't mean one, but it's, it's, it went nuts, right? It went nuts. And, uh, we're fortunate that a lot of my former employees that were now back in town because colleges had shut down, they were coming by and I was like, dude, do you want to work? It's like, we need the help. So I was very fortunate that, you know, I'm a relationship guy and I definitely solid, I'd say 95% of former employees of mine, I'd say we're very, very close still and we're very, very, you know, very good terms. So these guys came back and man, we doubled the staff that week and it was all hands on deck and it was nuts. And it, it, it stayed nuts for about four months until it's still Super busy, but but not like it was then. But y'all are blowing 2020 out of the water. Oh, April made a record year. April. So in April, we declared a record. We declared 2020 was a record year. Sales. I know. Actual or projected? Actual. Already so at the you, time. Will you double your revenue this year? Easily. Easily. From, year over year from last year. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we hit double the revenue sometime into early last month was when we hit double. Do y'all finance bikes? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Six months, no payments, no interest. Through a separate deal. Through a set, yeah, yeah. So y'all yeah. still get paid up front. We get paid immediately the day after. Holy smokes. So 
Man, it, it went so fast and so hard. And so we did that for about two months. And in March, we sold, uh, let's see, March was great. In April, we sold more bikes in April than we did in all of 2019. And then in May, we sold double what we sold in April. And dude, I was just, I, I was, I was bonkers, man. I, I like, I was spending so much money just trying to keep the store stocked that I saw that supply is going to drop. Remember that back to that whole first day of the business school, like supply and demand, like supply is going away, man. Y'all just kept rolling. Rapidly. And we just kept rolling. And Mm -hmm. a lot of shops didn't amend. A lot of shops stuck with their high end. And that high end went away for a couple months. Those are the guys that really tightened their finances. Yeah. Now all that came back big time. But what? Because they had like fair amount of debt maybe on their balance sheets or or they had more, a lot of money in the market that they were risk. living off of yeah more risk more more exposure more more whatever more overhead you know and, and the unknowing and but the upper middle class maybe and people like that they were just enjoying maybe a little bit more free time and yeah they were working and the main thing was there was no safer place to be than outside being in memphis tennessee when covid hit was a luxury and i for, for when i say luxury that sounds awful in my business space was a luxury. And that is because our weather was premier. There was no better time yeah, to be on beautiful. a bike. It was beautiful. So you had that. Secondly, you had the very early on phases of now the kids' classes are canceled. So you had the most frustrated parents going, dude, just get them out of the house. I saw that very early on. Man, we sold more kids' bikes in one month than we sold in the last four years. So you feel like kids right now, it's like there's a limited amount of options for them to get outside and get away, just in general. Yeah, oh, yeah, just in general. You know, at the time in March, parents just wanted them out of the house. They're driving them bonkers, right? And then yeah. then they try to adopt this, like, home learning, but they're, they're not trained teachers, so that's not working out. So they just want the kids out of the house. I mean, dude, parents were pulling up, and they'd be like, Clark, does it fit little Johnny? And I'd be like, not really. They'd be like, well, we'll take two. I mean, it was literally like that. They just wanted them out of the house. They wanted to check a box, get the kid gone. And it was the same thing for them. Like people wanted to escape. They couldn't go to the gym. Uh, They couldn't go to spin classes. Like we've had spin classes at Victory that have been sold out for nine years until COVID hit, right? We don't do spin classes anymore. So all these people, like you're not getting your vice out. Like, Like there's no group health classes going on or things like that going on. And there's no safer place to be than outside. And there's no better time of the year to be outside in Memphis. So a lot of industries like that hit home runs and camping industries and the RV business and like all these spaces hit home runs, you know, and I adapted very, very, very fast. And I've quickly saw that everything was going to that market and I was buying as fast as I could. Because you maintain little or no debt. There's no debt on the business. You keep, you talked about earlier, you keep Solid retained earnings in the company. So you saw the trends and you just started getting really aggressive. I would brag to my wife. I'd come down to grab coffee. It'd be 5.30, 6 a.m. in the morning. I'd be like, hey, I've already spent 25 grand this morning. And and it was one like now, then then it's funny, you fast forward like four or five months and I'd come down, you know, and I'd, you know, 25 grand, by the way, like that would be like 60 bikes or, whatever, you, know, you know, entry level product. And then it turned into like, I'd come downstairs, I'm like, I just spent two hours. I bought three, three, three bikes. That's all I could find. Like, dude, supply dropping rapidly. And you can Google it and figure that out. And it was like when we were trying to tell people, we're like, yeah, like there's a lot of things we just can't get. And bikes were the first ones gone. 
And we hung on the longest and, and, and we were able to trudge through it just because, man, I live, eat and breathe it. And Billy's Bicycle Barn, that owner was just, you know, cash flowing to the bank, loving life, getting his wife a new Lexus. And I was just doubling down, dude. And I was increasing staff. I was taking market share. And I just, I just run it two different ways. You know, I, I look at everything right now as people are like, yeah, but is, you know, how many of these people are going to stick around, right? Like, I bet the used market's going to be great in a year. You know, that's a terrible attitude, by the way. But like, I look at it, this as if 10% of these buyers are retained, the growth is going to cause me to need another mechanic come spring. So I'm hiring another mechanic right now. They start next week. Like these are the things that I'm forecasting is if just one out of 10 of those bikes comes back for an annual tune-up, I will need another employee to handle that. Like that's how I'm looking at it and that's how I'm strategizing it. And I'm looking at it as if one out of 10 come back for a new helmet or if one out of 10 come back for new tires or if one out of 10 come back for uh, a pair of shorts and now a long sleeve jersey with the weather changing. Like that's how I just keep adjusting and I keep my buying. And that's why we've seen this growth. And it's, so I can't help but say like, man, it's sustainable because I'm hitting it at conservative numbers. I'm not saying 90%, I'm not cocky. Like these, no, no, no. A lot of these folks are, they needed to get outside. They need to get outside. Then they needed some freedom. They're not going on a vacation. So they've got 500 bucks more sitting in their bank account. They want to go buy a bike. They want to ride this weekend. They're not coming back. Yeah. You know, but but I'm looking at the one out of 10 that I know for sure will. But you've already said eight, nine out of 10 of your prior customer base does come back. So even if you, you've taken like an improbable worst case scenario, which obviously will be fine for the company, but it would be, it would be modest to say 50 or 60%. I, absolutely. Which, and, and I think that comes from, you know, again, social media presence or direct email, like, my big deal, you know, when I started Victory, I wanted a place, I wanted the first bike shop that you had an excuse to come to multiple times a day. And that was my whole idea. And that's why we were going to have spin classes. And that's why we we're going to have clinics in the evening. So you come to your spin class and you do your workout well before standard retail hour, six to 7am. You come back in the afternoon to do your shopping or to pick up your bike from repairs or whatever that you left after spin. Uh, and or the evening you come back for the clinic and that's where it's more community driven. If it's, uh, repair classes or nutrition clinics or, uh, weight loss or cross training or whatever it is. And that was my whole idea. So same thing. My goal is, man, the second you make your purchase, you go into our database and it's not spam, but sending you something relevant, something about this space, something cool that's going on that hopefully you follow us on social media for more current, but at the least, man, you get at least two emails a month from me. Unless you hit spam or unsubscribe, which I totally see. Yeah. <laughs> fine. It's I fine. Even, I don't even look at it. Oh, dude. Yeah, don't. I learned that. <laughs> I don't look at unsubscribes anymore because there's a box you can leave notes. Oh, really? Dude, some people are jerks. Yeah. I'm like, I, I get just emails direct. That's enough for me, man. You know, and I'm the like, boxes. and then when I'm reading, I'm like, bro, the email was about a fundraiser. You're an ass. Yeah. All you had to say was just like, I get too many or I never signed up. Like there's so many defaults that are totally acceptable. Your notes were unnecessary. Right. Now I don't read it. Now I don't even, like, you know, the constant contact sends you like a thing once a week. And it's like your latest unsubscribers. I'm like, Dude, I don't want to give any more time to them. You know what we can say, though? <laughs> I, I can say this confidently. I think you'd agree. Whoever sent you that email, they don't 
they're not doing this. <laughs> they're not happy. They're sitting there, you know, frustrated by their own life. They don't know what any of this is like. That's why they're blasting off this message just like that. Absolutely, man. It's <laughs> it's it's one of those. Just like, you know, it took years before my wife, you know, finally ingrained me like, stop getting upset. They're not your customer. Yeah. They're not anyone's customer. They didn't go to your competitor and buy that bike. They bought what you told them somewhere else because you were right. And they're just not a customer. And it's the same thing. Like <laughs> neither is that person that, that, <laughs> that opts out, right? Like, or, or definitely not the person that fills in the blank. Like, bro, I'm a small business trust trying to send you something like, man, I didn't demon dial you. Yeah. God. I'm not personally <laughs> making any observations about who you are and what you believe. It went to 3,600 <laughs> others, man. It's called a numbers game, man. <laughs> God. One quick thing that I'm thinking about before we keep rocking is, man, I heard a buddy of mine, he has a dental practice, or his dad does, and he works with him. But they did the same thing when COVID happened. They knew how much cash they had in the in the practice, and they said, we don't know what's going to happen, but we can tell you. Well, they actually got shut down. You know, dental practices did for a little bit. Sure. And we're going to pay you from this amount. And just, you know, thinking about that, hearing what you're saying, and then also thinking about times, I don't know if you've ever had these times where you lay people off, you know, where you, you are too aggressive and it hurts and it sucks. And it um, you feel the gravity of those decisions and you learn and, you, you know, you make amends, you apologize and you try to always do things, you know, better from what you learn. But I just think that's really, really cool. The way that you talked about early on how y'all manage y'all's cash and y'all could tell them that that just stood out. And one of the podcast episodes that I've done so far is even though it's a new podcast, but there's an episode with a guy named Mike Bruns and I just got a ton of messages from him. I mean, he talked about, you know, it was a large transportation company, but they lost like 40% of their revenues. I mean, it was $18 million in his case yeah, because of a contract. And I asked him if he laid anybody off and he said, no. And he got back on a plane and he said, yeah, I just went after it trying to get business and build it back. And I just think that connection, that human connection of the way he talked about it, and then hearing like your example or, or thinking about a buddy as well, when you do manage your your assets and your debts and you can do that, it just, you know, it's a it's a huge thing that makes a lot of impact for somebody. Thanks, man. I mean look, it's one I think that's why, you know, a lot of a lot of my competitive edge and 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 why I I still say I'm a competitor is that same thing and why I went out on my own is because other shops weren't doing it right. And why did I go out to work about, you know, for myself? And that's because I didn't like the way I was treated and, and it doesn't mean I was ill-treated. It just means I didn't like the decisions that were getting made. And I, you know, I love when I get that employee that comes to me from another shop or another space that's disgruntled and they've been stomped on or they've been overworked or the company promoted from the outside and not from the inside or something was unfair or emotional or whatever it is. I love a disgruntled employee that comes to me because, man, that's how I got into it. I wasn't happy working for other people. I didn't like the decisions that were getting made, you, you know, and, and it's one that I I want to do what's right and what makes me feel good and what makes me sleep at night. For me, it was just a no-brainer because I knew worst case scenario was me giving up my salary. That was, to me at the time, that was worst case. Uh, that was far from closing a store. That, that, that was that was literally well in advance of that would be me removing mine. And and so when I quickly, literally within five minutes of thinking about this, agreed to myself that I would totally do that, it was a no-brainer for me to go and say that and speak with nothing but confidence and 
and compassion, you know, and that is, I knew, man, that our people were riding more than ever. So we all use this app. A lot of riders use this app called Strava. Yeah. It's very competitive. A lot of different demographic, not demographic, a lot of markets use it, you know, from CrossFit to cycling to running to whatever. And I'll never forget, I'm holding these meetings and I go, guys, if you look at Strava, people are riding more than ever, right? I'm not reading this anywhere. I'm not learning this in school. I'm just looking at this app and I'm looking at it differently. You're looking at what Billy rode today. I'm looking that Billy rode 25% more this week than he did last week. And this week, he's not in the office. Mm. Our people are riding more. They're going to need more shorts. They're going to need more service. They're going to want upgrades. They've got time. And it looks like Billy's income's not changing because he's still working, right? So like all these little things started adding up and that's how I looked at it. But as soon as I realized what I was going to give up and I knew I would do that and I knew I was months away from having to pull that trigger, it it made sense for me to come out with it. And I came out with it for that specific reason. That is like, that's reactive. That's a very reactive decision, man. And, 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 and it's one of those, again, it's an endurance. I'm looking at the long-term play. And uh, while yes, I was a hundred percent freaking out, like, uh, like, oh my God, like this thing was just going, well, it's March, you know, the Memphis Ironman had just gotten announced and I was carrying a ton of weight there and a ton of overhead all around that, that space. I'd really invested heavily this spring pre COVID into that race that did not take place. And so a lot of things were changing in my world too. And it just took, look, it took a lot of breaths, man. Yeah. It took a lot of breaths. And I just wanted to think about it. Like, what would I want to hear if I was in that, in that position? Hey, everybody, we're going to take a quick pause here from the show and hear a word from one of our sponsors. After that, we'll get back to the show. Do you want to make efficient use with your time? Now more than ever, traveling hassle-free is harder to find. AB Jets is one of the safest private air companies in the world with impeccable service with nonstop access to most destinations around the USA. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. Bypass the hassle and get an AB Jets jet card. It gets you 10 or 25 hour flight options that makes your experience hassle-free. AB Jets carries up to eight passengers and is one of the largest Lear 60 operators in the U.S., Go to abjets.com for more information or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S to travel on your own terms. Man, one thing I was thinking about, Clark, that you were talking about, and you've already touched on this, and I didn't even ask anything about it, but you talked about culture, community, kind of setting the pace. But from a social media standpoint, in a branding standpoint, in the way that you've already talked about spin classes in the morning, you know, having the shop open during the day and training instructional things or uh, nutrition, et cetera, at night. Can you talk a little bit about the overall approach that you have with your marketing and with how you reach your clients, your group, et cetera, and how that's created an impact for you, for your, for y'all's reputation in the community, but then also for your business, because I think what a lot of people miss and including myself early on in certain ways, it either feels uncomfortable to explore all those different angles, or it seems like extra work. And it's more than just the direct work of, you know, selling the the road bike or fixing the road bike, et cetera. But it seems like a lot of success is generated when you figure out all these different ways of 
kind of interfacing with the customer? Yeah. So when you, I like your use of exploring the different ways, cause it's, it's, it's taken a lot of learning, right? Like if you, uh, look, I didn't got no problem lifting my skirt. If you, if you go to our Facebook page and you, and you scroll from backwards forward and read, read like Hebrew and start from the back, <laughs> come forward. And, and you'll see that, you know, early on I used, I was, I was very bullish, right? Like, like we were high end. This is what we did. We're going to advertise like we're high end retail and Man, I thought I was Times Square in New York City, and I ran photos with half-naked women <laughs> modeling bikes, and oh, and they were killer. Oh, and then and then and then we started making money, and I could afford hiring a local modeling agency to supply these models, and we'd supply the bikes, and I'd hire the photographer that would come out, like the whole thing, and we'd run with these, we'd run with these ads, and. Yeah, it took a lot of flack. We got <laughs> we got a couple pieces of hate mail from that type of marketing strategy, you know, and my attitude was always and it was backed by everyone else which was like, dude, have you not seen an American apparel ad lately? Like these are no r- remotely thing close to an American apparel ad, you know, and that was kind of my attitude and 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 again, I wasn't listening. I was very bullish. And even with that that subpar marketing strategy that I had, which was based off of, again, other industries. I was not looking at the bicycle industry for advertising. I was looking outside of it. I was looking at fashion. I was looking at high end and what sells. And even with that terrible strategy, success was happening. And with success was happening, like, man, I grew up in a very charitable household. Like, like we always gave back. We gave back time and we gave back money, everything growing up, even though we, did, we didn't, you know... We're definitely not affluent. Uh, grew up in an apartment, moved a house later on into middle school, but but it's one that giving back was a huge thing. And my dad always, you know, a lot of my parents' fights growing up were about my dad volunteering for too much. He'd volunteer for so much, and he's not making any money. And I have a hard time saying no. I've gotten a lot better at it, and I, I can give you an incredibly compassionate no. <laughs> I mean, I'm really good at it now, uh-huh. um, but, but it's one that I couldn't for so long and, and, and I wanted to just do it. I wanted to saturate and I wanted to work hard. Remember we're talking about like, I believe you do need to work harder to build that foundation and get your spread and get your name out there and get your business out there and, and touch and feel and, and connect with people. And, and, and with that, man, like a lot of this nonprofit stuff really started up with me and these relationships I built with if it was at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, right? They're very, very good to Victory Bicycle Studio. Very good. And the executives there and the executive team, many of them are very close friends that we've traveled with and we've gone on bike trips with. And while that has nothing to do with our long-term contract with them and their bike share program, all of a sudden I looked at it and I said, wait a second, do I want a St. Jude employee seeing the same logo on this bike share bike that we've equipped them with? on this image of this chick on a bike at Overton Park. Man, we had to stop that, right? Like not not good. That's not that's not in line with the branding all of a sudden. And all of a sudden it went to okay, well then man, my marketing strategy comes from listening and it comes back again from what I learned in real estate and and, and listening to that 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 higher end clientele and that higher end customer and that is I'm listening to what is working. Just like the second question we ask you when you come in the door is, how did you hear about us? 90% of the time it's, oh, yeah, I heard you on that podcast, same coach. Like, yeah, man, I had to come by and see it. Okay. 90% of the time it's a direct referral from someone else. And that way we immediately know who we need to thank when you leave the store. Well, 
it's figuring out what works. And when all of a sudden somebody starts going, yeah, well, I saw that you guys, I saw your van on, on St. Jude campus the other day when you guys were servicing the bikes and my daughter needs a bike. Okay, well, we need to be marketing what we're doing at St. Jude. And we don't need to market that in terms of we need to sell and package that bike share product to Methodist Healthcare and then to Terminex and then to FedEx. And I'm just trying to think of big employers in town that could maybe maybe yeah. utilize that. But it's one of those not thinking about marketing it as a product, but market it as ourselves, right? Like social media can be bragging, depending on how you use it. And you could look at that as bragging. I, I bet competitors see that as bragging. What I don't care. I see it as, is look at this awesome thing we're doing. We didn't trip into it. I went to two years of interviews with St. Jude before they agreed for us to be their uh, approved vendor in the bicycle space. Did you initiate it? Oh, hundred percent. Okay. hundred percent. And uh, initiated follow up, follow up, follow up. That's, that's, that's a great story in the way it actually culminated when the contract was signed. But it's one that like, no, I want to broadcast that because that's cool. And that's something that we're doing outside of the confinements of the four retail brick and mortar square walls. And I want to show what we're doing. And I want to show that when I'm with the kids at, uh, at the art garden at one of their big benefits, or I want to show, this is, by the way, when I say I want to show, I want to show on Victory Bicycle Studios, social media, when I'm at the opening of a new restaurant right? Like that's community support. These are all the things, shooting a couple of photos and videos while I'm in here today. Same thing. Like I want to show that we're doing so much more than operating from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. when we turn on that open sign and, and turn it off, right? Like I want to show that. And as soon as I started doing that and folks were engaged with it, like I'm telling you, man, like I'm not boasting, but I just, I did a little Instagram story in here. Didn't even tag you because I didn't have time because I was lo <laughs> losing track on your, on your question. Yeah. But it's what like folks are going to want to know because they're engaged, yeah. man. And, and, and especially now they're engaged, right? Like with, with COVID, there's a lot less distractions happening, but it's that my marketing comes from listening and my marketing comes from what folks want and what they're seeing. Now I am a businessman. And when it comes to, to launching a new brand, that's a different marketing side of me. And that's something that's taken time to learn. And, you know, we, we just this past week launched uh, an apparel line that I've been trying to get from the day I opened. And it's an apparel line that I have personally bought their products at full retail, just like you guys would, from their consumer website, because I believe in it that much and it's that cool. And we finally got it. We finally got a done deal. And we, we got an agreement on, on carrying the product and, and being the representatives in, in the state of Tennessee for this product. And So nobody else. Nobody it. else. Okay. And, and it's one that, you know, and, 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 and it's funny. One, I hear folks all the time. They're like, man, that's so cool you did it. Like, what made you decide to do that? I'm like, nine and a half years ago, <laughs> I wanted to do it. And I called them and called them and called. Like, dude, ain't no like it just light bulb hit me. I've been wanting this, man. Uh, so there's that, you know, the other side was, okay, so how do you launch that? And my launches have changed dramatically. Just like how do you relaunch a bike shop after it burns down 28 days after it opens, right? So four months after insurance rebuilt that building, how do we relaunch opening? Well, every single relaunch, I've learned something, not relaunch, one relaunch, but every single launch of a new product or a new brand or a new line or a new staff member, Man, I do this whole procedure when a new person joins us so that I introduce to you, the public, 
who they are, what they're doing. I want you to meet them. I want you to know them. I want to give you something about them that 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 that's fun, something that's engaging. We're going to do a fun video and maybe do a fun challenge, but it's something that I want to drive you to come in to meet that person. And I want you to know that that your support of our business has allowed us to hire that next person, to hire your new neighbor. And I love to broadcast. I love to broadcast where people live, right? Like right now we've got a couple of new staff members that, that my immediate agenda is them to become homeowners. You know, I, business guys like to hear numbers. Business guys are like, hey, how's business going? They want to hear how many millions in sales you've got or whatever you've got. For the longest time ever, I love to answer that question with, all I can tell you is all of my employees are homeowners in Memphis. Right now we have two new staff members and, uh, and obviously that is my first goal is to get them to that point. But so, so back to the question of marketing, launching a brand is totally different now for me. I don't want to sell you these, these new shorts once I can't do that. I can't sell. My goal is not to launch this and everyone comes in and buys a pair of shorts or buys a pair of shorts and a jersey or buys a pair of shorts, a jersey and a jacket. Like I, I don't care. My, my agenda is not that you come in and spend 200 or 500 or $600. My agenda is to present this product and this brand into our lineup as to something that you begin to learn, you begin to love, and you begin to adopt because, dude, I don't want you buying shorts and a jersey and a jacket right now. That's going to fatigue you and it's going to get expensive. So I'd rather you start now and then tell your coworkers about these new shorts that you just got and you can't wait to try the jersey and get the jacket and the same experience. And man, I need you buying this product for the next five to seven years for this to make sense. And, and that is, man, we've got seven full-time staff members. Like that's my stress at the end of the day is, right, is I got to make sure that they're taken care of. I don't want to make that call that I've got to let you go. We, we've, we've all had to do that. And, and that is my number one stress is, is keeping them employed. And that comes into the marketing strategy. And I think that's the difference between a marketing department and the owner doing the marketing. I have the 100% interest that this product sells and this product sticks around. A marketing department is going to have all sorts of impotence that this product sells great and it does well and the launch is a success. It's two totally different things and only an owner is going to look at it the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. It's neat hearing you talk about it because, you know, when you write about it, it forces you to understand it. But then also too, I think it's interesting to hear you talk about it in the different ways that you're hitting the client, hitting the person and people that have not bought a bike yet or have not bought apparel yet, but they're on an email list, et cetera. And it's just this machine, this engine that keeps bringing everything in. And I think it's easy to just forget about a lot of those things. And then you stop and it costs you something when you stop, but when you stay on it, that's why I just wanted to flesh that out a little bit more and hear you talk about it and then hear the value that you described it, you know, with victory and how it's paid off. I read an article in 2014, right when you bought out Robert, you talked about how you were, you were going to start a second bike company, Pedal Town, right? Yeah. And then you closed it. Yeah. You said that you felt like it would be, even though it was effective opening that second company, it was more effective to use that space for victory. Is that correct? Yes. God, I'm trying to remember what year we launched Pedal Town in. I guess it would have been 2017 or 2018. It had to have been. And Pedal Town was designed for that uh, entry-level market. And and my idea and my bullishness was, well, if Victory's bicycles, if, if our bike started $1,000, 
you know, pretty much everything started at a thousand dollars. What if I build this new model that has the same level of service? We simplify and automate our fitting process. Can we make it profitable and win with that process and that service in the $500 and under model price point? And so we launched and I kind of, I ripped a lot of the Build-A-Bear model, which was let's start with something very basic and something very affordable and get your emotions all in. Kid wants that teddy bear. Kid going to get that teddy bear. <laughs> now kids going to the toppings, right? Like now, you know, we're shifting toppings like like, like frozen yogurt. You, you build the base, but man, my money is in you adding all those toppings. Yeah. So same thing. Works so, for me too. So uh, I took that same concept and, and put it into a brick and a mortar in the cycling space. And I had that from literally every single age on up to adult. Everything was under $500. And, and look, I'm still selling you. Right. Like, like it's not around, but I'm still selling you on this. And, and it worked and it was profitable. And it was one that my big thing was, it was so hard to run two different brands, two distinctly different brands, one high end, one, one with some panache, some style, some sophistication. And this other one that was literally, I was positioned between, and, and, and I did it on purpose. I, I wanted to be between a department store and a, and a specialty retailer. So I wanted to be between Kmart and Billy's Bicycle Bar. And I wanted, I wanted Pedal Town to be, I wanted the, the name Pedal Town's fun. By the way, I still own it. Nice. But Pedal Town's fun to say. It's something I wanted the kids yelling in the back of the car the whole time. Like every single thing had its why. And I had a lot of time and, and energy that went into the launch of this. And man, it took a lot of swallowing of pride. Like I spent a, a, a give you an idea. My initial investment, personal investment, was a little bit shy of one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars when I launched Pedal Town. It was fifteen thousand dollars when I launched Victory. So I launch and it's big and it's robust and it's something that you would expect if I'm going to launch another bike business, what it's going to look like. And, and man, it's one that, you know, uh, about a year, a little over a year and a half in, we finish, because I forget when we launched, it was like a July or September launch. So that, those holidays end up, we're closed Christmas Day until the 2nd. I'm looking at the numbers. By the way, my dad's a CPA, so I'm one of the few business owners <laughs> that files his taxes way early. Yeah. Cause I got a CPA all my life. It's been saying, buddy, when you give me your stuff. So knowing that I've got to get that to him, typically that Christmas to the second, while I should be totally off, that's when I'm looking at numbers and I'm looking at numbers of pedal town. And quickly I see that well over 80% of the customers overlapped with customers at victory. So the point of sale systems, the names, the addresses, the spending, everything overlaps. So all of a sudden I look at that and, and again, I didn't go to business school and uh, I'm not a CFO, but I looked at that and I said, wait a second, man, that means I'm spending this much money on this brick and mortar and these staff members and this insurance and this overhead. And uh, I mean, all the things that go along with a second brick and mortar and all the expenses. And I'm going, man for 20% more business, that's a lot of money. And, and it was funny. So very quickly, I looked at that and I said, Hey, I'm going to make a decision in the next two weeks. And I go, I had a great manager at pedal town. And I tell him, I said, Hey, just want you to know, I'm going to figure this out in the next two weeks, regardless, your employment will not change no matter what I do. And then that's when I decided to make the move. It was, uh, it was sometime in that February that I decided we're going to liquidate pedal town. Uh, which that was another learning experience, by the way. We're going to liquidate Pedal Town, all the just the product, 
and uh, I was leasing the building at the time. And, uh, and I'm going to tear down a space between the wall and between, and we're going to combine the two and pedal town's going to go away. And so, you know, I, I make this decision. And by the way, when I make decisions like that, like they're implemented very, 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 very fast. I'm not going to waste anyone's time or energy. And by then, you know, it was a very seasonal thing at that price point. So we had only had two employees anyway. So I quickly came to them, tell them what I'm doing. They both have the opportunity to stick with the company. Pay remains unchanged. This is what we're doing. Ultimately, one decided to move on. One is still with me to today. And and it's one that I looked at that, and a lot of people didn't understand that. They go, wait a second, like the long-term play, right? Because the long-term play to Pedal Town was multiple locations and one centralized shipping facility. If if I have five Pedal Towns, this starts making sense because they all have the same 20-inch boys' bike, 20-inch girls' bike. I could be the centralized shipping facility. All our point-of-sale systems are integrated so that when Sam running the uh, the pedal town at Petty Jean State Park, you scan those streamers and other pair of streamers drop ships to you. Like I had every single component in in play where it's profitable. And, and it was one, man, it was so exhausting. And when I was looking at doing a second pedal town location early on, because I knew it was a multiple play, I'm out in Germantown. And then again, I go, man, A, I don't want to be out here. I don't want to drive around out here. I hate this. And again, what if Sam comes into the store? Like, what, dude, what am I doing in Germantown <laughs> making sure their streamers are, you know, up to quantity and minim, minimum and maximum? You know, that means I'm definitely not at the other pedal town and I'm definitely not at Victory when uh, an executive from St. Jude or Indigo or, or FedEx comes in, right? Like, so I'm not doing what I set out to do. And it's funny, when I combine the two, price points went up. We removed a, a part of the market that was really not not a good customer match for us, and it was funny. Like so, kids' bikes went from like two hundred nine bucks, two hundred nineteen bucks to three hundred twenty, three hundred fifty bucks, which on paper is not a lot of money, right? That's a hundred bucks or one hundred twenty bucks, but on margin wise, that's like thirty three percent more, forty percent more. Well, guess what? Our bike sales went up. And our kids' bike sales went up, which is what it was heavily focused on, was Pedal Town, was fun to say. And kids' bike sales went up. And it was funny. It was one, one, I was like, no, now it's like nice kids' bikes. Like, no, no, now it's just nice kids with nice families get bikes. No, dude, they wanted better quality. And and it's something that you can't do at a certain price point. And, and it was one that that's, you know, that was one that proved that was the right decision. Like, not only did that, square footage, make more money in the first 30 days after we opened up that wall and combined the two. Like, dude, it did over double what Pedal Town did on its best December. Uh, and Pedal Town had two December. So it, it did better than that in the first month. I immediately knew it was the right decision. What have you learned about taking risks or like putting something out into the paper? What have you learned about laying out something that's pretty attractive, you know, in the article, et cetera, and then whether you get it or don't? But I'm curious about kind of how you think or how is this applying today where back in 2014, you said, I'm going to do this. And it took three years for you to do that. And then now today, 2020, you did do it. You did close it. It was successful, but you felt like there was a, a better use for that space. But how have you learned to do that? And how is that applying to today? 
Number one, it's not easy, right? Like, you know, I, I was organizing my my closet the other night, the other morning. Just and by the way, before that sounds super metrosexual, <laughs> I was organizing my cycling closet because now we're in the changing of seasons. I need to get all the long sleeve and jackets out that I would no more have out in the last five months. So I'm getting all my winter stuff organized, and and I have the Pedal Town jersey, and like I can't help but say no. It, it's it's. Uh, I'm going to say embarrassment. Therapists are going to hear this and go, don't say that. Like, no, there, there is some level, man. Like, it's pride. I did a ton of heavy lifting. I had a lot of thought. I still have a ton of passion behind that one, even though it's not here. Like, it is tough. <laughs> Look in my, I, I've got a shipping container in my spare lot behind Victory, and and I've got 200 Pedal Town branded saddlebags that I don't know why I'm still keeping or what I'll ever do with it. But it's there out of pride for some reason. I don't know why. It's not a hoarding thing. Don't look too much into this. Yeah. But it's one of those like, so it is hard to swallow, right? Like I got to get that out. Like it, it was tough to spend that kind of money and that kind of energy. And all those articles came out on Pedal Town and, and to have to close it. Regardless of what is a success financially and not, like like it is still tough, man. I learned a lot, you know, and it, it's the the e-commerce play. Like, so we invested heavily in e-commerce right after I bought Robert out. And and that was looking at, well, if t-shirts were our highest selling SKU, so the highest selling item in our store was our own branded t-shirt. Okay, well, we're shipping those all over the country. Well, what if we put them on a platform where folks can order them for the from their iPhone? And it's a lot easier than like messing it us through Facebook and us calling you and going like it's eleven dollars to ship to Fort Myers, Florida. Yeah, right. Like so, putting that into play and getting a ton more merch and a ton more stock and a ton more inventory because right, this thing's going to take off. It did okay, but it didn't take off, and it's one that. Well, here's the deal. Number one, we still keep that up. We still maintain that e-commerce site. We still have it uh, loaded with all sorts of Victory merchandise. What's funny, though, is how it's changed in that uh, there's certain items that do well that we'll use that platform and we'll list on. And we've learned, like, we've learned how to list, how to write the description, how to share it, how to get people to it. So that's one. The other is, is the amount of people that will choose that avenue as a method of communication. Okay, so then I look at it as like, well, wait a second. So if I wasn't on Yelp, would you have even gotten to me, right? Like, like that's my kind of fear of missing out is, is I want to make sure that there's some way you've heard about me and some sort of your search query in my space. You ought to end up seeing my name and my business come across. So, you know, that, that, that all goes into it too. So it's funny, like when, when I think about like the article talking about like what we'd launch into e-commerce, it's one that... Everything was positioned there and I learned a ton and we did it and we're still doing it to this day. Has it turned out that still 90% of all of our income comes from people that come in that brick and mortar? Yes. And, you know, with my ADD and entrepreneurial mindset, there's no way I could sleep at night without doing it. You know, and when I decided to come and join real estate and drop out of college, I'll never forget. I kept saying, I don't want to sit in class and go, what if? Just like, I don't want to lay in bed and go, what if? And, and I think that comes to a lot of the, you know, comes back full circle on a lot of this. And that is, dude, not everything that I've launched has been a success. In fact, there's been a lot of failures. I don't regret a single one of them. And that is because I've learned from them all, just like I've learned from the races I've lost and I've learned from the races I've won. The same thing in cycling because the same thing in business. And yeah, it is, it is tough seeing that pedal town Jersey hang in there and, and, and man, just the amount of energy and time suck and sales and efforts that I gave up at victory while I was spending all that bandwidth on pedal town. Like 
those are the things that bum me out the most, right? As I look back on how could that effort have been used either with family and my wife and personal or with victory and financial and more growth and more people. But dude, I, I, would, I would still be laying around going, what if? And I'm, I'm not good at that. Last year, I was at this conference and I spoke at it. And afterwards, this guy came up to me in a different city and he asked me if I would fly to his, his city and, and help him. He was about to go bankrupt. And I remember looking at his numbers. I was looking at his line of credit options and I was trying to help him just figure out what to do. And I think some things that I'd said, he just felt comfortable and he just really needed help. But I remember meeting with him and and I was like, why are you going to keep driving it? I would think about doing this because it's going to really kind of sever where you're literally losing the most right now. And I was really concerned. But he's like, if I go broke, I go broke, but I'm going all in. And he wasn't saying it from an irresponsible way, but he was so committed to what he was doing. And he is such an amazing guy. And I talked to him the other day and I mean, you know, he's still working through stuff, but his business has doubled since. And, you know, some things happened with the bank and credit and he got a bunch of work and a bunch of opportunity and he's going to continue to have to work through some stuff. But now I can feel that because we all have certain things, I think, inside of us to the way that you've talked about. What if, or even if it doesn't work, hopefully don't go bankrupt you know, don't lose everything or don't put my family at risk or harm. But I care about it that much that I'll take that chance or I'll live with that embarrassment. And it pushes you to kind of exercise every available option possible because you don't want to leave anything. You don't want to hold anything back. And I think it's really neat just through different people, different conversation and what drives them that there's certain things people will take that risk for. And then there's other things where they're like, they can't relate to that person, but that's just not them. And that's what I'm hearing you say now. And but still, you're much further ahead of where you would have been if you would have you know, not done it back then, three years ago. No doubt. And man, there's just, you know, there's so many things you can just draw out of that. Look, it's one when, you know, a, a lot of monumental, like I'm trying to think of the most monumental times in the last 10 years of victory. You know, let's I'm not talking about my life, but let's just talk about like the last 10 years because there's been... Fortunately, yeah, there's ups and downs, but victory has grown steadily every single year since it opened. So it's hard to say that there's downs. The downs were more or less bad decisions or or working through problems that that took, you know, a ton of energy and bandwidth. And the first was obviously when I made the decision to start the business, right? The the next came the business burned down. The next came was navigating the buy the the purchase of Robert's share in the business. And, you know, I'll never forget, like, we got to that point, I'd, you know, and I'd just been saving, like, that's just, that's just, the, that's how I was raised. And I'll never forget, you know, we agree on this price and Robert hit me with some sort of a financing question, like, how am I going to pay him? And I said, I'm going to write you a check. And he said, wow, okay, didn't, you know, didn't realize, even though we were, we'd been around each other, like, he's got, you know, I think at the time he had three kids. I think he's got four now, but it, but it's one like, like our expenses were totally different and, and spending was different. And, and man, I just saved like, like, right. Like I had adopted a different lifestyle where I, where I didn't, it didn't cost a lot. And I'll never forget writing that check. And that was the biggest check I had written at that time. And, uh, and you'll like this. I'll never forget at the closing table, by the way, it's going through me. Number one, I'd saved that up. Like once that's gone, like, dude, that's my fallback. Like, yeah gone. 
yeah, I could have financed it. And yeah, a bank would have loaned me the money. But 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 again, I had operated this thing from day one, all cash, never taken terms, never taken anything. I wasn't going to do it now. And I wasn't going to do it on this this kind of new birth or kind of new phase for victory. You know, and, and I'll never forget, look, at that closing table, I always like telling this story is Robert and I are sitting there across from one another and we've got the attorneys there. And and I look at Robert and I said, uh, do you know how I know this is fair? He said, how? I go, because right now, if you flip the script and you write me that check, I'll walk. And uh, and I was 100% genuine. There was no poker. There was no nothing. It was, man, we're both tearing up. Like, when I mean, we literally stood up immediately from signing. We're hugging each other. Like, we had built this thing, man. Like, like there was no ill will. Like, it was this awesome thing. And, and, I, and I meant that 100%. And that was the most nervous I had been was like, oh, my God. Now it's all on me, right? Like I launched a business to be on my own, but I really wasn't on my own because I was in a 50-50 partnership. Now I'm on my own. So to me, a ton of, like there was more nervousness to that than there was to launching Victory because at least I had to split the, the loss. Now it's all on me. And, you know, you know and that was, that was really the next monumental time, you know, that, that, I, that I really think back and look at like, learning a ton and thinking about the gambles and the sacrifices that took place to go into this. Cause man, I, I could have taken that check and we could have gone and done a lot of th- different things with our lives. Yeah. But didn't. And I, and you know, and I'll never forget, Robert looked at me and goes, man, I just can't wait to see where you take this thing. And I never would have thought it would get to this point. Never would have thought it, it would, it would reach this. And cause I've been happy, man. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's been an awesome, awesome ride. And, uh, it's taken a lot of years to go from the stress and hoping people come in the door to now it's, I just stress that they had the best experience they could have had when they came in that door. And that's what keeps me awake at night now. What are you thinking about for the next three, four years? I mean, six years ago, you were talking about e-commerce. You were talking about a second bike shop. What would you say now? I think that the way everything's going with our community approach and and, and the way this has grown exponentially over the last couple of years, uh, just with our community approach. I say it all the time, you know, friends, even as close as Nashville and bike shops, they'll ask me, they'll go, you know, how are you doing this? And I'll I'll explain to them the whole model. We'll schedule an hour phone call to do this on a day off because Dude, I only want more people on bikes. I only want this industry to grow. Like I, it's it's one that that's why I say it's so far from saturating Memphis, which is hard for me to start diversifying into other avenues within the cycling space because still this model is needed in so many places in and around town, and that is like, you know, we we pull from all over. Like in our training groups, you know, we have folks that come and sign up for us from rural Arkansas and to Dyersburg, all the way to Collierville, to Atoka, to Millington, to North Mississippi, like huge reaches. And it's one of those that unfortunately, a lot of people choose their bike shop based on geographic desirability or geographic, what would you say, uh, uh, convenience. Yeah. And that's unfortunate, you know, because we always say, choose your bike shop, not your bike. And a lot of those people are choosing their bike. They're not choosing their bike shop. And I think that if more shops did what I'm doing, we'd have more people on the road. This would grow faster. Uh, the second is, is I can't handle all of their customers too, right? Like I, I, I really like them to adopt some of these practices. And I'm, I'm saying them, I'm saying, I'm saying quote unquote competitors need to adopt what I'm doing because it's working and it's working better than what they're doing. And I want to give them the tools to do this because if they do this, this whole thing grows, right? And, and, and it's one that it's, 
I'm only going to sit around for so long before my bullish entrepreneurial side fires up and I go, well, guess what? The guy that's been with me for the last eight years, I'm opening up a store that he's going to run now. And he's going to be the face of that one. And he's going to launch this model and he's going to launch this practice. And it's going to be right in your backyard because you haven't done it yet. And it's one of those, like, again, if you're not taking care of the customer, I will. And uh, I know I'm get, coming out real strong right now, but I've really seen that's going to be the future of this thing to keep growing and keep its wings spread and, and, and duplicate me, you know, kind of back, like you said, and that is like, I've got really great staff members and I love that the most of my staff have been with me for four more years uh, as they sit right now. And, you know, and, and I do everything I can to make sure they don't leave me. And that's with, with benefits and taking care and listening and, and, and making sure they're taken care of. But it's, it's one that, no, I definitely see that that is the future is, is although I don't want to do another brick and mortar, I see another brick and mortar in a partnership with somebody that's been with me for this amount of time because they know the level of expectations and, and I don't have to be there because it can be theirs. That's kind of how I see it. You know, the other is, is, you know, I've made some promises to my wife and kind of where I'd like to end up at a certain point. So, you know, we've obviously got those goals too. So if it's, uh, if it's slowly piecing out and slowly empowering somebody from within running the current victory, or if it's, I can't slow down anytime soon and we need to launch another. It's going to go somewhere in that, in one of those two directions. What about from just an overall economic trend and consumer trend? Can you talk maybe about e-commerce, convenience from shopping, purchasing, et cetera, how that affects the customization that y'all do? And then also things from COVID and seeing from that, like how you see that playing out in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. So e-commerce, I'm going to answer in two different ways. So one e-commerce is going to be calling you up to order a pair of bib shorts and a jersey or, or a jacket, some sort of apparel. The other e-commerce I'm going to talk to you guys about is building a custom bike. And two very, very, very different. Custom bike is going to take some back and forth. It's going to take some phone calls. It's going to take some time understanding you as a rider and what you're looking for and what you're after. Because I want to give you more than just doing a drop-down tab and upgrading wheels and handlebars. Like, I want to give you more than that e-commerce generic experience. So those are going to go well, and those are always going to go well because we've got that so fine-tuned between the fit, between the selections, and between everything. And then we can obviously get it to you at this level of professionalism and confidence that we know we, we didn't just get you the right bike. We got you the right bike with the right crank length for your femur, the right handlebars for your recent shoulder surgery, the right grips for that carpal tunnel you deal with when it flares, like all those little things, right? That we go back on, like back to what we learned about when we got to know you, like all those little things. And you're so blown away when you got it like that. I feel very confident that's going to keep going because if we take care of Sam Coates in Inglewood, Colorado, you ride with 10 buddies every weekend. I know you do. You don't have to tell me it's the lifestyle you're living if you're buying that bike. So you're going to tell them about that amazing experience you had with this guy Clark at the shop Victory in Memphis. Found them online. They were such a treat. And then I'm going to sell them all their bikes too, or at least that's that's my goal. You're my marketing department at this point. And, and that goes back to this community approach that we've got going. But so the, the other side is, and I see that is going to continue doing well, but I think it's going to be more, the commerce will be driven from online and social media and website and such, but it's not going to be a no touch process. Somebody that wants to spend more than two grand on a bike wants to talk to somebody. That's a big online purchase, right? For any, any category. So you have that. The, the other is the apparel, small parts cleaners, 
topicals, nutrition, you know, I'm just trying to think of the different stuff around the shop. That e-commerce sucks. Uh, it sucks for a lot of ways. Number one, it's a time suck. Now my guy is taken off the floor from helping you who came into my store, which is what I set this whole thing out to do because he's going to print tape and box an item or it's on his radar or it's on his mindset while he's talking to you. So he's not giving you the full experience. So there's, so there's that side that gets compromised, which, okay. So immediately all of us in the room sit around and go, well then hire somebody to handle the e-commerce. Totally different. Well, then you just put more on me for the marketing side to make sure that they stay busy. Right. So like yeah. everything, like everything compounds. So there's the time suck there. And then on top of it is returns, dude, returns suck. And somebody in Inglewood, Colorado can ruin your online reputation and online reviews is they're so authentic. Somebody outside can ruin it for you. And dude, they picked out their own medium pair of bib shorts. If that, they told me they had a 38 inch waist, I would have told them to get a larger XL. Like it's not on me or, or you're upset that you didn't get a reply within four hours. Well, we're in brick and mortar. We're not backcountry.com, right? Like we don't have that infrastructure. So I see dabbling in e-commerce as one thing, but, but the, on the, on the, you know, certain price points, I think it's, it's terrible for me. It's more of a, uh, when we put out a new apparel or, or something like that, it's one thing like a t-shirt, something we've got tracked and we know your sizes to which a lot of that's pre-sold now. But I think it's the, it's the bicycle stuff that's going to continue taking over. And that is because, especially with COVID, I think COVID for a lot of bike shops is the green line opening all over the country, right? So the green line that, it, that, that bridges communities from Midtown Memphis to Shelby Farms Park just opened all over the world for about four months. So a lot of those people lost track of those customers again. And that's where I'm really looking at. And that's the kind of saturation I want. And that's the market share that I'm going after right now. And that's why I'm going to keep showcasing high-end builds. And you better believe I'm going to photo every time that FedEx guy comes in, to, you know, and picks up a couple boxes to take with him. Hell yeah, I'm going to boast. Two people, one guy in Idaho and one guy in Nebraska are about to get victory bikes. That's how this grows. So like, that's how I see that going over the next four to five years in the e-commerce side. So it's like this chasm that increases or continues to as pricing continues to get more competitive online, but just the expansive need for service and attention, et cetera. And so if you can find a way to master customization and then also leverage the speed and accessibility of supply chain today, you don't have to go open that store in Nashville. You don't have to go no. open that store in Little Rock and you're leveraging your online media and branding, et cetera. And you're kind of feeding the beast, so to speak, that way. You know, and, and e-commerce is a race to the bottom. I mean, look, all you have to do is type in a product, right? Like, like type in the koozie that we're using right now or type in the shoes that you're wearing right now. And you're going to see immediately when you hit shopping on Google, prices range from most of the time five to eight cents. Usually it comes down to who has free shipping, right? But like, it's a race to the bottom, man. That's not what I'm into. And like, and I also, we can't afford that. Like, I don't want to do that. And, and, you know, it's funny, like I've got buddies that are big in the e-commerce space. And when I started understanding and started asking questions, like, what do you spend on Google AdWords? What do you spend on Google ads? Dude, some of the biggest online bicycle retailers are spending 50 and $60,000 a month on Google ads. That's to make sure that when you type in that Shimano pedal, theirs comes up first. 
and that's to make sure that theirs comes up for forty nine seventeen and not forty nine ninety nine, right? Like, dude, that's terrible. That's 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 not the bicycle business. At that point, that's just retail. That's just a numbers play, and that's not my forte, right? Like, that's the guy that's that's the guy that graduated business school and understands all that. That ain't me, right? There we go. Hold on. That was good. Well, was, that was full circle. We just want, we won one for the dude that's been calling me out the whole time. Guess what? Now we have like, like that's that wave. Yeah. <laughs> Let's say tomorrow something happened for whatever reason. What would you do if you weren't doing this? Man, I've thought about that. You know, I'd, usually people ask the question, like, what if your legs get broken? You can't ride again. Right. And, and I always have the immediate response. I'm like, dude, I will be the most stacked diesel dude in the gym. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. But by the way, for those of you who don't don't know yeah, me or see me, see I'm, I'm I'm a staggering five foot five, five foot six ish, <laughs> two hundred twenty uh, pounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred forty ish pounds wet. So it's one like, like, God, man, if I wasn't, if if I woke up and victory wasn't there, I wasn't, you know, and I say that being like victory is ninety percent of 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 uh, where where I'm invested and. Man, I do something in the space. You know, it's funny. I've I've uh, I've done really well with relationships in this business, and that's both from like backing up what I say. That's from paying you know more than on time. I'm definitely the most punctual in this space when it comes to accounts receivable and payable. But it's one like, man, I've got a lot of relationships in this business, and there's a lot of companies that I really, really, really like emotionally. And those would be ones that I would reach out to if it wasn't some sort of a marketing play or customer engagement type play, you know, like, dude, I love traveling. I love riding with people. I love sharing experiences. I love showing them what I, what I show. And, and, and I love being able to talk to them more than about just bikes. Uh, and, you know, like, that's kind of one of my criteria is I go back on, like, when you're forming a team, like, I'm like, would you ride in a car with them for three hours? Would you ride in the car mm-hmm. with them to Nashville and back? You know, and it's that same thing. Like, we got to be able to have more to talk about than about bikes. I know we both like bikes, dude. There's got to be more, though. You know, and and it's one of those that, like, that tourism side. Like, uh, I'm watching a couple. There's a couple companies that uh, I can't wait to be a customer of when COVID gets lifted that do these high-end travel. And there's a couple ones that definitely market to, like, that kind of retiree age, you know, probably the, the probably the bulk of it. But there's a couple companies that are marketing towards a high-end travel. So somebody that wants a high-end experience, a five-star luxury food, luxury treatment, you know, nothing held back, and the most beautiful rides on the course before the pros do it in the famous race in Italy, well, the famous race in France. And, and it was funny. There was one in March, and I uh, went to my wife about it. I said, hey, like, look, they have this thing for spouses. You can do an e-bike, which, by the way, like, my wife don't ride. You know, I learned early on, a buddy of mine said, man, you can spend your life trying to find the woman that does what you want to do at the level you want to do it when you want to do it, or you could find the lady that wants you to do what you want to do at the level you want to do it when you want to do it. Uh. And, and, and so it's funny. So my, my, you know, I go to my wife and I was like, Hey, like, what do you think about this thing? Like it's in Tuscany. And like, look in the, the last day you do this epic ride. And then you're at this woman's villa overlooking the 16k to go mark in this race like everything about this sounds so badass like i get an epic ride in like check that box you know the physical challenge i know the people when i'm looking at the price of this i know the people that are going to be there are going to be ones that like will probably hit it off 
you know, so the, the challenge is another one. I know this is going to be, you know, all these things lead me to believe this is going to be a good filter of people that this attracts. Plus, like, I think this model is really cool, both as a customer and as maybe an interested investor or, 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 or I don't know, competitor. And so it's funny. And I looked at that and she was like, you need to go do that. And I was like, oh, God. really? She gave you your blessing oh, in March. Dude, 100%. My, my wife's solid. Mm. And uh, so I'm like, I'm going to go do it, but I need to talk a buddy into it. Like, this is, that'd be weird. Like, not doing it, but getting on a plane and getting there and doing all that solo would be kind of weird. So like, I, I got to find a buddy. <laughs> the that's, ultimate bachelor. That's, yeah. Like I got to, like, like, I'm not single man. Like, like, no, I got to find some, you know, buddy. Plus it's more fun to share Yeah, all that going into it, you know, is just as important as the actual journey. And, and, and it's one that like, it obviously got canceled. The race itself got canceled when COVID hit, but like, that's probably a space that I would look at first, man. And, and that's, both in terms of where I'm at, where I'd like to be at. And I see that only continuing. And, and your first bike is not a $10,000 bike. And, and, and this is going to be a bit of an economics course, but your first bike is not a $10,000 bike. And so typically if you're buying bikes at that level, you've reached a point in life that you've got the wherewithal to do so. And things are probably pretty stable, probably. And you, you, you never know, but, 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 but I'm assuming probably. So that means the marketplace for that product that I'm talking about, this kind of tourism, kind of explore, see where this bike and thing can take you. Oh, yeah. And here's a way to include your spouse with this five-star treatment and all that, you know, that hospitality shit you hear me talking about that I enjoy so much. Like, man, I can't help but think that that's outside of COVID and airlines getting shut down. That 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 seems very, very sustainable in that high-end play. And Victory was cloistered into the high end for so long, and 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 a lot of that market changed for me. And a lot of bike shops even said, "Man, a lot of guys, you know, live and die on the sword of that high end business, and they don't change." And so there's that, but you still always got that tourism side. You've still always got that fan side because you know you've incorporated the sport of racing along with the culture, along with the travel, you know, along with expectations and and and. Yeah, I just, I can't help but think, and I know it's funny, I'm, as I'm saying this to you, I'm selling you on the idea too, but like, man, I can't wait to be a customer of theirs and I can't wait to check it out. But I, that's probably the way I would start heading. So short answer, I would not sit around long. I'd probably go for a bike ride or two mm-hmm. and then I'd start pulling some triggers. And somebody that I'm close with and he's 20 years at least older than me, but lately I've heard him just talk about, you can tell a lot about what somebody is kind of really drawn to do or made to do based off of some of the patterns and some of the interests, you know, that they've had kind of throughout their life. And so for me, as we're talking, I'm hearing you talk about a cycling competition, competing, et cetera. But B, you talked about consulting very early on uh, when we started talking this afternoon, but then C, how all that's come together. I mean, that is victory. And then you've talked about, you know, the spin classes, the nutrition, et cetera. And then now where we're at talking about those same experiences that rush or challenge physically, but then the environment, you talked about the type of feeling that you wanted people to feel when they came into victory. And so now it's coming together and even talking about what if, if not this. And I think it's just fascinating here you flesh it out. 
hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you like the show, please rate it and leave a review. Also, I have a weekly newsletter that comes out each week with the new episode, show notes, and more. You can sign up for this newsletter at podcast.sampcoats.com. Have a great day.